0: Hi, I'm Bernard Leung and you may know me as the executive who wants to learn more about the real estate industry. And in my spare time, I want to know how companies in the space are executing their digital transformation program. You are listening to Analyze Asia, the weekly podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. And today I have a very old friend because we usually meet up for dinners, Wilmer Gerber. Chief Operating Officer, Project and Development Services, Asia-Pacific at Jones Lang LaSalle, a.k.a. JLL. Welcome Wilma, and it's great to have you on the show for the very first time.
1: Thanks, it. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, I think you and I have been constantly having uh, discussions about how digital transformation works, what are the failures, how do we think about companies executing it and bringing in innovation into very traditional companies. But before we get onto all that discussion, What I want to start is, I probably haven't heard your life story in that detail. So can you tell me how did you start your career? Uh,
1: In South Africa, I actually started as a tax administrator, filling in people's tax returns. Mm. Probably one of the most boring jobs I've ever had. And then a, a friend took pity on me and suggested I apply for a role at Philips Communication Systems. And that's how I stumbled into technology, it was 25 years ago. So yeah I used to drive around these remote parts of South Africa one of our big clients was De Beers diamond mines Lesotho etc installing phone systems for businesses and then in my early 20s I decided to move to London and I got a job at BT Cellnet that uh, that later became O2 and after that Telefonica as you probably know and I joined the product development division and I worked on a lot of cutting edge well, what was cutting edge back then, uh, Bernard. So my first project was actually building a location-based service. So that was on SMS. That was a UK first back then. Find my nearest restaurant and that kind of thing. And then worked on a bunch of other things like building an IM product. That was before WhatsApp. Uh, We also worked on a mobile music player before the iPod and we were also trying to figure out how to grow mobile data revenues and we set up the first mobile app incubator and that was before the app store. So we were sort of finding our way around in the dark, making it up as we went along.
0: Mm. I'm very curious, Where was the time frame when these things you were working on? Maybe that would give a good context to my audience as well.
1: Oh, that was in, that was in the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, that was when
0: I think there were these handheld Nokia phones around I think O2 has one of the coolest gadgets because I was living in the UK during that period of time. They usually come up with the advertisements that gives you a very sophisticated feel and then you're always hearing the Nokia ring phones as you walk along the streets of London. But this is interesting, right? Because we discussed this and it is interesting that you actually work on most of these technology ideas before they became fashionable. For example, the IM you talk about leads to WhatsApp. The mobile music player becomes the iPod and the mobile app store before, even the Apple app store and Google Play today. I guess, given that you were in a very traditional company, even though you work on these ideas, they might not become mainstream, but other companies in the US will get mainstream. What have you learned from that experience?
1: Mm, lots. Yeah, you're right. So these are all ideas that could have been big, but the successes were the ones that really took off. I think a couple of things, you know, and they were all sort of different lessons for different products. One of the things that I learned was User centricity was key. I think when we look at the mobile music device, the iPod was just way better. I mean, from a user experience perspective, right? For the mobile app incubator, it just, it didn't go far enough. So I think that when you're innovating, you're keeping the user at the center and having a bold vision committing is really important. And uh, I think that makes difference. the
0: difference. And messaging is also interesting, right? At the point, I'm G wasn't fashionable yet. People were still living between the 2G and the edge.
1: Yeah, it was the GPRS days. Yeah. That's
0: right. Mm-hmm. So that's also the reason why it didn't take off during that period of time.
1: Yeah, I guess when the devices moved on and network speeds moved on, that also you know, provided a, the impetus for um, mm. the ecosystem needed.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So you spent a, your early career in South Africa and in Europe. Then what brought you to Asia?
1: To be honest, (laughs) the weather. uh, I think after 11 years living in the UK, I needed some sunburned. But also, I got a great uh, job offer from Cisco. They were building a 4G WiMAX network uh, in Malaysia. And they were looking for somebody to help that uh, roll out for them. Yes, that was 10 years ago. And we were building the first 4G network with voice. Uh, And after that, yeah, I went on to head up. Project management and systems integration for Cisco for APAC, and yeah, covered a lot of projects in in the APAC region. Probably the largest was the Reliance Geo four G build, and so yeah, as you can imagine, I spent a lot of time in Navi Mumbai.
0: Mm, this is very interesting because Reliance Geo is now very successful, yeah, and you have been part of what is now one of the most successful go to market with the Indian smartphone market. I guess Reliance actually expanded the very small hundred million mobile users addressable market to another 300 million more and they're growing and now putting in e-commerce services and many other services into their network and they made it free at first and I think some of the interesting data was that if you give a customer unlimited data every month they're spending something at 29 gigs and this is unheard of. So what was it like in the experience with Joe when you were working on this project that you now know see is a great success in India?
1: Yeah, I think you know, probably the most demanding project I've ever ever worked on just because of the sheer scale and the complexity of it. Probably one of the biggest challenges was actually finding the right talent and just bringing in people fast enough to build the network at that pace. But it also gave me an opportunity to meet Mukesh Ambani and we spent quite a bit of time in meetings with him and you know the vision that he had right from the outset. He was very, very clear on what he wanted. And he wasn't just building a network. As you said earlier, he was looking at the -the over-the-top services right from the start and also making sure that they had devices in the market that were really, really affordable for the Indian market. So I think putting all of that together and some clever marketing and pricing strategies, you know, was just a winning
0: and other than this project are there any other projects in Cisco that you have also worked on or this particular project just took almost everything out of you into
1: <laughs> well I think we did lots of different projects big Wi-Fi deployments and uh, data centers and uh, a lot of leading edge security projects as well but I think you know the world's largest 4G build Reliance Geo can't be yeah. <laughs> <do> that <laughs>
0: okay so I have to ask you this we met when you transitioned from working from Cisco to JLL. So, I want to know after working 20 years in technology companies, mainly in the telecommunications space, why transition into the real estate?
1: Well, I think my, my real passion is digital transformation, Bernard. And, you know, where better to do that right now than in real estate? Earlier in my career, when I was at O2, and we talked about that IAM platform. You know, I was more junior back then, I was the project manager on, on that project and the project got terminated because the business leaders were afraid of cannibalizing the SMS revenue which was pretty huge back then. And that was very disappointing to me at the time because I could really see the opportunity with IM. You know, all of the constraints that you had in SMS were just you know, taken away with, with IM. Yeah and then with WhatsApp, we saw what happened when that came along, laser getting acquired by Facebook for 22 billion, right? So that, you know, that could have been that could have been 002 if we'd had the vision and the boldness and not been afraid of the cannibalization. So I guess the move to real estate is another chance at being an incumbent and emerging as a digital leader through this, this challenging time.
0: Here's the interesting thing, when you walk into the real estate industry, WeWork came up. So there's a lot of hype now with WeWork into the real estate. Of course, there are other companies to really give a sense of the scale. I was reading a McKinsey report on the entire real estate supply chain. and There's a trillion dollar market and there are many, many sub-verticals. There is not digitized. In fact, I think real estate is the least digitized among all the industries out in the world so my first question to you is how will it be different this time when you think about going there and do digital transformation as learning from your experience that what didn't work out previously in o2 well
1: i think as you said real estate is further down the digital maturity curve so the benefit is you can look ahead at all the other industries that have gone through this and actually take the lessons i think when i was in the telecoms industry you know a lot of these things were happening for the first time there's a lot more knowledge, I think, these days. And so it does give us a better chance to leapfrog and learn from the industries that have gone ahead. Um, also, the technology's moved on. There is just so much technology out there. So really the challenge when it comes to digital transformation now is how to extract the value from the technology as opposed to, you know, developing new technology.
0: So this is interesting, right? right? We're coming into the main subject of the which is digital transformation. I definitely yeah. want you to be here because you have much better insights than I do on the subject. And I think we discuss very difficult questions with regards because we have both conducted digital transformation in our own domain. I work in the poster and logistics domain and you work in the real estate domain. And we exchange a lot of thoughts and ideas on that. First of all, I need to help my audience understand your current role and coverage with JLL. So can you talk a little bit about who JLL is and what are you working there as?
1: Yeah, so JLL is a real estate company and we cover the full life cycle of real estate services and I work in the project and development services group and that focuses on construction and fit out project management. I'm the COO of APAC and my role covers all the traditional aspects of being a COO, making sure we hit the numbers, setting KPIs, keeping the business on track. But a large part of my job also is leading the digital transformation for APAC.
0: How do you define digital transformation and what exactly it entails
1: yeah good question bernard because i think this word gets used quite a lot these days i think it's a new word for a thing that we've been doing for a while which is <laughs> change management. <my nature. laughs> yeah and using technology to create value and find ways to grow the business stay ahead right to evolve to stay relevant but you know i think that the technology is really the enabler and the key thing with digital transformation is to figure out how to extract value and at the center of all of that is people so for me digital transformation is really it's all about the people
0: Mm. and i think that's the people side is always difficult right because that involves culture it involves how to change their way of doing things one thing i wanted to ask you because you move from the vendor to the client side which is actually from your cisco days where you actually work with client and then now you are the client. So how has your perception of digital transformation changed since you made that transition?
1: Mm, yeah, really good question. So I think that when you're on the technology vendor side, it is quite a lot about the technology and selling your product. When you move on to the client side, what you realize is that really it's about the people and extracting value from the technology and solving problems for the technology. I think that's probably the, the, the biggest change.
0: So if you were to be now go back to a vendor role, imagine that, yeah. how would you do things differently? Would you use a lot more of what the clients are thinking? Yeah,
1: definitely. I think that that's what a lot of clients are looking for, is for the tech vendors to come to them with solutions, to form partnerships, to bring the ecosystem together, to solve problems for them and not just to, to sell boxes, right?
0: Mm. So. In making the digital transformation, because I think you have to do the planning, you have to start setting the KPIs, you need to cascade it to different people. How do you define the typical objectives and goals from your perspective?
1: Well, there are a lot of goals and you can slice and dice it in many different ways, but essentially what it comes down to is that you want to grow the business profitably and sustainably right so what that comes down to is how can I deliver my services more productively so there are efficiency goals for example there are also new revenue streams and their goals around that then there's the client experience and you know reimagining a way of doing things um, to deliver a better client experience the other I think big advantage on digital transformation is Companies that are leaders in the space typically also attract the best talent. And that is really the biggest challenge that businesses have today, is bringing in the best people.
0: So I think there are different things that you mentioned, right? There is the part that you need to make your current operations more efficient. Yeah. Embedding technology to improve the workflow. There is bringing in technology to enable new business models. Mm -hmm. And that's usually a difficult conversation. I'm pretty sure that a lot of us who work in digital transformation find that one of the most challenging conversations. Definitely, yes. And then there is the third, which is trying to align many, many people to follow the path of digital transformation that will make the company better. And I think that's a really is a cultural mindset. Given so many different stakeholders, who within that organization should be involved from your perspective?
1: Yeah, from my perspective, everyone, and I think the mistake that a lot of companies make is they make digital transformation the role of a select privileged few at the center in a head office somewhere, and really what, in order to make it successful, what you need is for it to be pervasive, for it to be embedded in the business, for everyone to be involved. The people who understand the business the best are the people on the ground. And so you want to be engaging those people in solving the problems. You don't want to make that the role of somebody sitting in a in a meeting room in a head office somewhere. Um, I, consultants and change management consultants can help you, RD, innovation teams, etc. can help. But you need everyone, including the PL holders, involved and especially the leaders.
0: I often say this, everybody wants transformation but they hate to change. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so given that that is the case, right, but do you think that digital transformation should be a program or should be a new way of thinking within the organization?
1: Mm. I think it should definitely be both, Bennett, because yes, it is a new way of thinking, but also it needs to be a program because it's not going to happen by itself. You need to plan it, you need to manage it, you need to put incentives in place, you need to have a structure to support the whole thing. But it's also a new way of thinking because what I mean by that is you want people to start thinking about well how can I use this technology to solve problems I've been solving in a different way and to get that kind of thinking going on throughout the business is is a cultural change as you mentioned earlier but I think you need both
0: to make it work. So this is something interesting because I often find that a lot of more successful digital transformation programs focus on two things that I find many who feel like mm-hmm. one is actually the transition and the second is the education. Education meaning they try to bring more people within the organisation into the frame of thinking. So yeah. what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think the education part and enabling people is key. So yes, you can bring new people in, but if you're talking about a large incumbent, you know, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the organisation and Bringing in new people is going to help, but that's going to be a drop in the ocean. And what you really need to do is to enable all the people that are within the organization you know, to start thinking in new ways. And so I think that is one of, the, one of the keys to success, which a lot of companies don't get right.
0: So when you start up on a digital transformation initiative, what would be your initial steps then?
1: Well, first thing is to just to understand what the current landscape is. So what do we have in the business already in terms of technology, data, what's the culture, what are the skills and also what's the openness to change. And then the next thing is to engage business leaders from across the business, because the important thing here is you wanna engage a cross section of business leaders to co-create the vision with you but also to help you prioritize. Where should you be spending your time? There are a lot of things that you can do when it comes to digital transformation. Uh, the trick here is choosing those things that are gonna create the most value and not doing a long list of things, choosing a small number of things, doing them well, and being very clear on your priorities. And if you can engage business leaders, you know, that becomes critical down the track when you need them to lead the change.
0: You have been working on the digital transformation initiatives for over 15 years. I I think I'm very curious to ask this. Can you provide an example of a successful digital transformation from the wider market that you think that this is like the role model?
1: Yeah, that's an easy one. I think DBS, hands down, and the way that Piyush Gupta has led the transformation in their business is just absolutely remarkable and impressive. You know, I think that one of his mantras is that Digital reinvention is everyone's job, and he's been very vocal about the fact that it's, again, it's not the job of um, a small R&D department to make digital transformation happen. He wants to have everyone engaged. He says he doesn't want people sitting on the sides taking potshots. The other thing we see with DBS is how they've led this cultural shift in the business. They were one of the first companies to introduce hackathons as a way to demystify technology. And if you just look at the results, Bernard, you can talk about digital transformation at the end of the day. It needs to be reflected in the business results, and you can see that in DBS's business results. Not only are they now the world's leading digital bank, you know, beating out a lot of huge global banks in the space, right, but they've also delivered the business results. If you just look at the profit and how it's grown over the last 10 years, that is the hallmark of real value being created and not just what Piyush calls digital lipstick. Mm. I'm one of the
0: benefactors of uh, Piyush's digital transformation program. Truth be told, I was mentored by his chief transformation officer Paul Coburn who was guiding me when I was working as the chief digital officer in Singapore Post and a lot of what they did actually helped me to do a lot of successful initiatives and I always like to tell Paul the difference between his success and my little many successes is that he has gotten it to be fully converted. That means the success that they did is long term yeah. and it's lasting. and It's very, very hard to see that. I think you and I have seen so many different digital transformation programs. I don't even think that I'm even close to one tenth of what they were doing. But I guess what sets this example different from the typical digital transformation initiatives? I mean, looking at the case of EDS.
1: In the case of DBS, it's fully embedded, as you said. And I think the other thing they have is continuity of leadership. So with a lot of digital transformation initiatives, what you see is that with leadership churn, you know, it starts off down one track and then somebody else comes along and doesn't see it through. I think they've definitely heard continuity at DBS. The other mistake I think that we see a lot of companies making is the challenge around digital transformation, as we said, is really more about the people. And that is such an overwhelming challenge that quite often, you know, with everything else going on, and particularly where you're in a large incumbent, you need to hit the numbers, digital transformation can get dumbed down to simply implementing technology. I think when you do that, then you you simply don't get the value.
0: So, I'm very curious to know, what are the major challenges for digital transformation?
1: Well, I think the, the challenge is that it's not just one thing that needs to be done. I remember reading this Domino's pizza case study a few years ago and they talked about a recipe for change. And I really like that analogy because there are many ingredients, you know, that need to go into making a digital transformation successful. Uh and if you leave one of the ingredients out, you know, if you leave out the dough and the pizza, you're just not gonna have pizza. So I think a lot of people are looking for, you know, what is this one thing that I need to do to make my digital transformation succeed, but it isn't just the one thing. You need to, of course, know what your priorities are and make sure that you are solving real business problems and creating value. You need to have the right people in place, you need to have funding, etc. But then I think the hardest bit is getting people to use the technology and And really starting to embrace it in a way that they are thinking about how can I start doing things differently so that it's not just change being done to them, but they're really part of it. And it sounds like a cliche Bernard, And it also sounds really easy to say, but it is really, really the hardest thing to do. And I think that's why so many digital transformations fail.
0: So this is where the most interesting questions come in, right? Usually in the digital transformation, technology is not really the problem. We should alluded to very early. Humans are. Yes. How do you think about aligning the different stakeholders in the digital transformation?
1: Well, if you put value at the center and remember that digital transformation is supposed to be creating value, then it should be creating value for all of your stakeholders. So what you need to do to align stakeholders is to make sure that there is value for every stakeholder. And if you can do that and give them the slice of the story where they can see what the value is for them, then you can align stakeholders. But I think what quite often happens is we push um, a technology program on our stakeholders and we don't do enough work to explain you know, the why and what's in it for them and change management and go... <laughs> When it comes to the alignment
0: part, people want to think about change as leader-led. What do you mean by leader-led change from your view?
1: So I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to hear from their direct leader, not somebody who's in another country or in the head office. So when we talk about leader-led change, it's about empowering all of your managers and leaders across the business to be able to tell the story, to bring people on the journey and that is critical because digital transformation it's an endurance event and if you think that you can do it alone if you think that one or two people can lead the change it's just not going to happen you're kidding yourself so the important thing there is to get your leaders on board empower them enable them and get them to the point where they really believe if they're reading from a script the people are going to know so it needs to be it needs to be authentic
0: So what about cultural change then? I think this is where I think a lot of people do realise that actually the cultural change is one of the big items in digital transformation then.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Cultural change and digital transformation go hand in hand. Um, And from a cultural perspective, I think one of the big things and another one of these buzzwords going around these days is around creating psychological safety in the workplace. What I mean by that is just that What we're asking people to do with digital transformation is to try something new, to think in a new way. And, you know, that comes with fear of failure. It comes with potential loss of face and that sort of thing. So how do you create an environment where it's safe to try something new? And that means, you know, safe to fail and take risks. So one of the things I think that companies need to do as they drive digital transformation is to evolve the culture and to create this safe environment to play.
0: So now that you have been in the real estate industry for about three years, what do you see as some of the industry-specific challenges that's holding back digital transformation?
1: Well, digital transformation is still relatively new in real estate and construction when we compare it to other industries like financial services and telecoms. So one of the challenges is the maturity of the ecosystem to work together to drive the digital transformation. By ecosystem, I mean all the players, which includes, you know, the vendors, government, industry bodies, landlords, and tenants. I really think that regulation has a big role to play in driving the change. If you look at countries like Australia, one of the main reasons they're leading on green buildings is because of the regulation in the space. And then, you know, think about how regulation in the telco space made way for the -the over-the-top vendors and the level of change and innovation that came from this. Looking at the vendor landscape and particularly the prop tech startups, this is still an emerging space in the industry. It's real estate's version of FinTech, but most of the prop tech startups I've been interacting with are still too focused on tech for tech's sake rather than finding ways to solve real business problems. But yeah, I have come across some great solutions out there and then you know they're being held back by the siloed nature of the industry and the lack of interoperability. Again, you know, if you compare it to the telco industry and how the industry bodies have driven standards for interoperability and how that moved the industry forward, that's some of the thinking that we need to bring into the real estate industry as well. Bernard, the other thing to call out is just that there is a huge opportunity in the real estate and construction industry to use technology to improve sustainability. If a third of landfill waste is coming from construction, There just has to be a way to use tech to attack this problem. And that's an area that I really want to drive a lot more focus in. If we take a leaf from the manufacturing industry and do more to modularize construction, this is where technology can really start to add value. Commercial buildings consuming huge amounts of energy, right? And there are a lot of reports out there saying it had you know, 30% of the energy is being wasted. So this is another real problem that we can solve with technology. But I think that what we need is more partnership across the ecosystem and more interoperability. So here's my final
0: question to you then, if you were to give a piece of advice for someone who is about to undertake a digital transformation initiative from the leadership position, what would it be?
1: Well, I'd say don't be fooled into thinking there's one piece of advice or a silver bullet that will lead to success. So just remember the Domino's pizza recipe. You need all the ingredients and keep people at the center. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about the people. Technology is the enabler.
0: Well, well, many thanks for coming on the show. And in closing, I want to ask two very quick questions. First one Can you recommend a bold movie, podcast, or anything that recently made an impact to your work and personal life?
1: Yes, I'm devouring Adam Grant's podcast, Work Life, at the moment. I think I've listened to all of his podcasts already, so I need to find something else. Um, And, yeah, I find it very entertaining. It's crammed with research and interesting interviews. And then the other ones that I'm a huge fan of is uh, Freakonomics and Revisionist History, and they really challenge conventional wisdom, which is mm. what I like. If you like one
0: that wants to challenge conventional wisdom, I would recommend you, Michael Lewis, the author of The Big Shot, oh, and Last book Against the Rules.
1: Okay, I'll check it out. Mm.
0: How do my audience find you?
1: Easiest <laughs> way okay. is on LinkedIn, Bernard. Thanks.
0: Wow, that's short. <laughs> and you can definitely Google me at Bernard down. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Cast, Himalaya, Spotify, and Luminary. You can definitely drop me a feedback. This podcast is co-produced by caroline and myself and we definitely would want you to watch out for the live show that's actually coming in 5th of september well many thanks for coming on the show and we look forward to speak to you soon
1: thanks David.